Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. At Kroger, you can find the highest quality products at a great price in every aisle every day with Kroger brand. So you can stock up on your household favorites that are tried, tested, and loved by you. Because when you get the products you love at great prices, it feels like winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks SC. It's your favourite football podcast. Back for another week and back up at full strength, back at full compliments. I'm sad, delighted to say that I'm joined once more by our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yeah, very good. Thank you, mate. Are you? 
Yeah, I'm good. Has your head recovered from the explosions of that of, that ruled you out of last week's podcast? You know, the football world just going purely mad. Oh yeah, loads has happened since then, hasn't it? I'm mainly um, just making my banner now justice for justice for Metro. So um, just started <laughs> sewing that together. That'll be out for the next West Ham game. So um, the West Ham fixture. So look out for that in the Hammersmith end. <laughs> yeah, lots of fun, lots of fun. And of course, our rank office, Sam Tsai. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yes, uh, I'm usually introduced first, aren't I? That was a bit of a oh, my head, my own head exploded Curve there. Ball. Curveball. I'm going to have to rule myself out fresh. for the rest of the pod, I'm afraid. I can't handle that. I'll see you next week. Well, I thought seeing as Dean was returning, it was um, it was nice to start start with him. I forgot I'd been away, to be honest. I think it's very polite right, and very nice like of you. Time. We've but done about five podcasts since then. They just haven't been on, <laughs> on this exact show. They haven't been on this feed. You know, you're absolutely right. Um, one has is, been on this, this feed. Is our main, yeah. Wednesday, main Wednesday pod kind of vibes. We're back. It's okay. Everything's calm uh, and dandy. Right. Let's start with things we love. Before we go on to talk about the international break, I'm very excited, Sam about this ranking this week and, and seeing what you've got in the pipeline. But DJ, let me kick us off with our standard openers. Start with Dean again. Fine. Yeah, the the thing we love um, this week, the thing I love is Bakaya Sako, lads. Like, Bakaya Sako is just, he's unbelievable. I mean, the consistency he's shown this season has been unreal. Like, obviously, we've all seen enough of him to, to know that this is a good player. But 28 appearances, all starts in the Premier League. Um, we've seen other players in this side rotated. You can't replace him. Like he's the he's the one cog of the Arsenal team that can't be replicated. And you know what? Too, he seems like such a great person. The way he talks and conducts himself in interviews is just a delight. I love hearing from him. He's been at Arsenal since he was seven years old, and here he is emerging as the poster boy of the new era that leads them to the, the first Premier League title since um, the Wenger days. And honestly, I couldn't I couldn't actually be happier. If this was to happen for to Arsenal, then I'm so glad that it's a, a guy like this that is kind of activating it all. Like, even things like, look, we know he's left-footed, right? And we've all seen the damage he can do with that. But what I love is I've seen quite a few people like they'll try and play him onto his right. I'm like, I wouldn't bother. He's just as good with it. And he gets down there and he'll just fire in these crosses. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, really. His relentlessness and his pressing, he's getting out of tight situations. It doesn't matter how you try to box Saka in. You can't do it. And he's got 22 goal contributions this season from those 28 games. He's hit double figures for goals. He's hit double figures for assists. It's very difficult to achieve that. He's the first player, actually, in the Premier League this season to do that. I don't know how you stop him, to be honest. He's only 21 years old. And really, we should be talking here about a player that's going to win Young Player of the Year. The bad news is I don't think he will, because Haaland just qualifies. So to win Young Player of the Year, you mm. have to be 21 as of the 1st of July, I think it is. Haaland didn't turn 22 until the 21st of July. So he's like just snuck into this bracket of being included as the young player. Look, maybe it doesn't matter overall because Saka might end up with his hands on the prize that Haaland would really want, which is the Premier League title. Um, but that is a bit of a, a, it's a bit of a weird one, and I'll feel sorry for Saka if he doesn't end up getting that young player prize because well, he could, he's probably in contention for both. Not just young player of the year, but 
player of the year as well. well now, whether Harland it goes, will probably be into both though. Well, it, the question is, will they do it like that? Because sometimes you see this where a young player wins the the top prize and then they give the young player award to someone. Well, what happens so to Odegaard? I don't yeah. know. Anyway, is um, <laughs> there, there's a lot to come through the wash, I guess, in the last two months, the business end of the season and all that. We'll, we'll see. Um, just got a note through yesterday actually saying that the, the voting is set to start for the Footballer of the Year award. So I've got a decision to make myself over who I think has been oh, yeah. um, the player of the year and who I'm going to vote for. But look, 10 games left now of the Premier League season. The confidence Arsenal are playing with is going to make this very interesting because they seem unstoppable. But look, Saka is just loving life. He's like having chats with Kim Kardashian after games. He's running rings around everyone. He's scoring rockets. He's getting me 36 points as captain in FPL. <laughs> like, I, honestly, I, I just love the, the smile on his face after he, when he's playing and stuff and the form and the confidence that he's in. What a season he's having. It's just brilliant to see. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. The Ealing Eusebio really breaking out into a, a fully-fledged star in his own accord at this point. It's lovely to see. I'm very happy for him. And, yeah, I agree and on your points about rotation. He seems to be the one that he sticks in every single week. There is no taking Bakayo Saka out, and, and completely correctly so for Mikel Arteta, although I'd imagine he could do with a break over this international break, Sam. He probably won't get one, though, will he? Um, he's too important to England nowadays as well. Uh, that's what the World Cup taught us. He was, he was one of the very few, actually, in the England team that felt basically undroppable as well it was it was him and, and Bellingham and Kane and you know once we got into our rhythm it was like well these guys are playing and who else who else goes alongside them that was that was a problem for everybody else that was Phil Foden's issue that was Jack Grealish's problem but it's not Saka's problem at all um the point about reaching 10 goals 10 assists first this season I feel like it's one of the, that's one of those like glass shattering moments for a lot of people because the player that usually gets to that mark first is Kevin De Bruyne and Kevin De Bruyne is mm. is obviously held up, and rightly so, as a world-class footballer. Like, undoubtedly, mm. one of the best. And many would argue the best in the Premier League. And when somebody else gets there first, it just makes you reassess a few things. And it just maybe paints Bukayo Saka in a slightly different, even better light sometimes. And Dean, you're also asked, how do you stop him? And the answer is kick him. But that hasn't worked either, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it might mean that he needs to take a couple of games out at some point. But even kicking him up and down the pitch, as teams have done all season long, has not has not stopped him. Production levels off the charts, cheeky smile, fantastic stuff. And I didn't even I didn't even realise it, but we've we've now got a new extra element to this rivalry between Arsenal and Man City. Not only they're competing for the title of best team in England, but their two best players of the season are competing for these awards as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right, from one end of the table to the other. Sam, what do you got for me? Yes, definitely to the other end of the table. Uh, let Dean talk about all the nice stuff. And uh, I think I'll I'll delve into the struggles of the Premier League clubs because we've got a quite ridiculous relegation battle happening. I'm sure you've all heard. We've talked about it plenty. Uh, nine teams, very much in it. Anyone from basically 12th down is 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 really, really in trouble. And there's not a lot of points between 12th and 20th. Usually by this point, we have at least one goner, someone who is absolutely, definitely, definitely, definitely relegated, and it's usually Huddersfield Town. Huddersfield aren't in the Premier League this year, so we don't have a goner. And even Southampton down in 20th are just a handful of points and maybe a win away from jumping up as many as you know four or five places at times. It's been, it's been crazy. The one thing that often shapes 
who actually ends up going down is the managerial moves that these teams make because they all end up changing managers anyway, right? It's going to happen. If you're in trouble, they're going to change their manager. Unless you're Leicester. Unless, Unless you're, Leicester. you're Leicester. I mean, yeah, a couple haven't. A couple haven't, but seven or so have so far this season. And what's interesting to me and what I'm loving is the incredible variety to the different profiles and age ranges of managers that these clubs have essentially turned to. I don't think we've ever had it this good in terms of variety. So I'll run down what's happened. Southampton and Bournemouth have promoted 39-year-old coaches into their first managerial jobs. Everton, Villa, Wolves and Leeds have gone for more established managers in their 50s, although within that range, all four of these managers feel very different to one another. They've had very different experiences. I don't think Sean Dyche and Unai Emery have got particularly similar CVs. And Javi Grassi has spent time in Russia, the Middle East and Greece. And then on Tuesday, Roy Hodgson is appointed as Crystal Palace manager at the mighty age of 75. He is almost double the age of Ruben Sayers and Gary O'Neill, appointed by Saints in Bournemouth. And his coaching career, which began back in 1976 in Sweden, is not only older than Ruben Sayers and Gary O'Neill, but it's not far off Unai Emery's total age of 51. <laughs> it's 46 years old, years old or so, 47 years old. And like the reason I point, I paint these comparisons is to underline how varied it all is. And the reason I love it is because I don't think we're that far away, that far removed, maybe 10 years, maybe five, from there being a very clear and obvious tried and trusted route out of trouble, I put in inverted commas. And it's to appoint Sam Allardyce. Or it's to appoint Tony Pulis or Tony Mowbray or whatever. They're all the same coach. And we've grown out of that, fortunately. We've, I don't know, added strings to our bow. We've become wiser. We've become more varied and more cultural. And just getting Roy Hodgson back in is a reminder that actually the age range and the different ways that these clubs have gone about their business. In, and they're all got the, they've all got the same goal. It's save themselves from relegation. Look at all the different ways that these clubs are trying to do it. It's fascinating. Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's it's going to be really interesting down there. I mean, DJ, I know that you'll be interested, especially in, in that Roy Hodgson reappointment. It feels like Palace have gone back to an old mate for a favour to kind of bail them out while they try and sort things out in the long term. And there's a lot of people criticising it. There's a lot of people talking about how it went at Watford. But I don't think necessarily it's the worst move that Palace could make here. Yeah, I mean, um, if you dig a bit deeper and understand the situation at Watford, it's it's very unrelated, to be honest. Um, Roy Hodgson was Crystal Palace manager, obviously, like 20 months ago. Like, he knows the core of the squad. He had a good run with this team, to be honest, until right at the end when people got a bit bored of it and gone, it started to go stale, which is fair enough. Like, that does happen with Hodgson teams. Um, you know... He had good relations within their squad. Like he understands this team. Like he understands Zaha and that's a decent relationship with him and stuff like that. Um and Palace are in a found themselves in a mess because, you know, Patrick Vieira, we've discovered from three jobs he's had as a very short shelf life as a manager. And from speaking to people like I have done this week, turns out Patrick Vieira was a guy that actually the team really liked. He was never on the training pitch. Someone said to me, You get that about 10% of the training sessions and the guys that were putting on the sessions weren't really liked within the squad and they found it quite hard to put their ideas into action 
Roy Hodgson will be out there every single day. He will get them with Ray Lewington, you know, enjoying themselves again. They'll be well drilled. Don't get me wrong. Like this, you know, if you're doing an FPL team right now and you had like um, a wild card, then it's probably worth getting a Palace defender or two in here because the running that they've got is against nine fellow strugglers. And Crystal Palace are probably about to lock up shop and go home. They don't need many points here. They need 10 points from 10 games, basically, to stay in the Premier League. Like it's not 10 that, nil nils for Roy. It's, basically, that's all he needs. It, it's not that big an ask here that he's, like, that he's got to deliver. But that's why they've turned back to him. Because they know this is what he's good at. Two months, come out of retirement, just help us through this. While Crystal Palace have the big job of looking for... Well, they want a high-profile manager. Who is a high-profile manager that's going to take the Crystal Palace job that actually fits and, and can actually you know take them forward, something that Vieira, in the end, was not capable of doing? So, yeah, look, it, it's, um, I understand why people would be a bit wary of appointing a 75-year-old man as a manager. Like A lot of us would just be happy to live to 75, let alone be managing in the Premier League. Um, but this is a man that's got absolutely no doubts about his own ability and understanding of football. He's got an ego that matches his long CV um, and he'll believe that he is the man to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's fair enough. I think that's fair enough. And it's going to be very interesting to see Roy back. Uh, I enjoy how he just called Ray Lewington. He's like, we're getting the band back together. It's like Batman calling Robin to sort <laughs> oh, things yeah. out down at Sellers. One doesn't work without the other. He tried it at Liverpool. Didn't work. Didn't go. Didn't go <laughs> at all. No, absolutely. Um, right. I also want to talk about club changing managers very briefly, but I want to take us to Spain where Sevilla have fired Jorge Sam Pauli. Now, Sevilla fired Julian Lepetegui earlier in the season because results had started to go south. But there was a kind of secondary element to this, which was that Sevilla fans were not having a good time watching the football that Lepetegui decided was his kind of personal brand. Now, while Sevilla were winning and winning things, that kind of went under the radar because they were like, well, we're winning, we're fourth, we're in the Champions League, we're winning Europa Leagues, it's fine. As soon as the results went south, his shelf life in that regard was actually much shorter than maybe it should have been considering what he'd achieved because the football wasn't very good. And the Sevilla fans demanded better football from their side. Fine. So they bring in Jorge Sampaoli. On a separate note, Jorge Sampaoli, since walking away from Marseille, has obviously watched Marseille climb up the table. They are PSG's only serious challengers. He's like, mm, maybe I shouldn't have left that job. He's now been sacked by Sevilla after a period where... I think he took over when they were one point above the drop zone. He leaves them two points above the drop zone. Progress. So in that way, he's been a, a progressive success. Um, he's also into in the so many other ways. He's also into the Europa League uh, quarters. Yes, indeed, he is. Um, but that kind of goes without saying. It's severe. That's what <laughs> That's like, it's like PSG winning the league. It's not an achievement. If you're severe and you don't win the Europa League, you're gonna be like, oh, what's <laughs> gone wrong here? Um, but anyway, the the kind of point being that the the managers they're now discussing terms with appear to be either Jose Bordalas, who was at Hatafe and Valencia, uh, or Jose Luis Mendilibar, who was formerly of Alaves and Ibar. Now, what these two managers have in common is the fact that they play really strict 442. <laughs> It really high, high pressing, direct, long ball, four four two. 
And I just wanted to say that the thing that made me laugh and it made me smirk when, when the kind of news came out, because I was like, careful what you wish for. It would be my main message out of this. Sevilla fans wanted Lopetti gone because they didn't like the football. They were like, fine, we'll get San Paoli and it hasn't worked. They are now looking at either Borderlass ball or Mendilibar ball. And the kind of secondary point to this is that Mendilibar looks like the favourite at this point. Yesterday, it looked like it was going to be Borderlass. Today, it looks like it's going to be Mendilibar. Now, things can change very quickly in Spain, of course. But his last job, he lasted four months after being fired at Alaves with them in last place in the division. The job before that, he did a really good job at Ibar for five years, took them to their record points finish, but ultimately couldn't end them getting relegated. The job before that was Levante, where he was sacked after one win in eight games, zero goals scored. Uh, well, zero goals scored by them. They won the only game he won with an own goal. Um, it, it's not a great record. And it's going to be very interesting to see how he does if he takes this job, because Sevilla obviously turns him, again, it's not the hardest job in the world, a bit like Roy and Ray at Palace. Sevilla only really need a couple of wins because I think there'll be a bit of a kind of space to the teams at the bottom. I, I don't think they're going to climb hugely out of it. So I think they only need a few wins. But it feels like a massive gamble. And just to go back on the whole, okay, we wanted better football. No, 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 no. Results, please. Results, please. Seems really quite amusing considering we've been here like, Less than six months. Well, it sounds like Palace, to be fair. Exactly like Palace, you know. They, they, they wanted they wanted to make the football better with Vieira and they've, they've gone back to source. They've gone back to exactly where they were. Look, sometimes you have to... No, it's not like that because Sevilla have gone far worse <laughs> in terms of what the football looks like. Levesque plays better football than Bordelas. I'm sorry, that's just a way that it is. It doesn't necessarily mean he's more successful or gets better results. And it's not to suggest that either of these managers, Mendilibar or Bordelas, won't keep Sevilla up. But if the whole point was trying to get better football played at the Pith One, it feels like they've really come away from the uh, come away from the kind of bat very quickly. It is the same as Selhurst Park situation because they did want better football than what Roy Hodgson. They turned to Vieira. It hasn't gone to plan. They are in a relegation scrap. They have gone back to basics to get out of it. It's a short-term plug for both clubs. Same situation. Unfortunately, sometimes appointments don't go well. That's our, that's our revelation from here. It's okay to want better football, but sometimes it doesn't really work. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Indeed, indeed. Right, that's all four things we love this week. After the break, we're going to be talking about the international break and some young stars who are going to turn their country's fortunes on their head. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our main ranking. It is the international break, so we thought we'd go nation-focused today. Sam, over to you. Yes, first international break following the World Cup. And it's just ahead of the European qualifiers, so it's a bit of a clean slate for a lot of nations. Not everybody's back in competitive action. Obviously, you see a lot of the nations outside the UEFA zone are, are playing friendlies, but they're all going to be gearing up for their respective campaigns in their sort of more continental trophies. The Euros are going to be happening. England, we're back in it. We've got to play Italy this week. I feel like we just played them um, and we just played them before that as well. It never really stops, but this is it. This is the time to re-energise for a lot of these nations. And as I was scrolling through the groups and scrolling through the different nations, I was looking at it and thinking, well, which nations might be in a position here to sort of turn their fortunes on their heads here and, and, and maybe qualify and, and punch above their weight for the first time in a while? What new faces might we see on the scene? 
and which new players, which young players might be able to power that transformation. So I started flicking through the squads and I think I've picked out, well, at least four, potentially five, depending if you've been living under a rock or not, five young players who are going to basically burst onto the scene here and potentially power their nations into new heights. Uh, almost all these teams, almost all these players, sorry, have got just a handful of caps. So we are really talking about fresh faces on the scene. I could begin at five. If you've got any more questions, Jack, or are good to go? Let's go. Let's do it. All right. We'll begin at number five, and it's Arda Guler of Turkey, who I am going to describe as the Mesut Ozil that Turkey never actually got. And I know that this was a bit of a vote of contention for some Turkish fans, because Mesut Ozil obviously identifies very strongly, very, very strongly indeed with Turkey, but always played his football for Germany. And it's been a long time coming, but I think they finally got a player, a left-footed, weaving, dribbling number 10 that they can be really, really proud of. And you know what? They, they genuinely are like quite a lot of uh, comparisons between the two. Um, they do move in the same way. They do manipulate the ball in the same way. And they also have that that little extra pass in them in a direction that you, you, you couldn't possibly have foreseen or that one extra touch that no other player would take that just changes the angle for the better. He's definitely got that, that gene to him. He has one cap for Turkey, just one cap. But this season, he started to work his way into the Fenerbahce first team. We've seen him in on Thursday nights in Europa League and Europa Conference stuff. We've seen him play weekends and Fener are in a title race. They're, they're second in the league behind Gala, six points back, but one game in hand. And they're giving this guy real opportunities to have his say. And from a Turkish perspective as well, there are a couple of other developments that, that might clear the path for him because maybe this time last year, I'd be looking at this and saying, well, Turkey have a very capable number 10 in Hakan Çalhanoğlu. But over the last six months, he has dropped really deep in Inter's formation and he's become the player that actually covers Marcelo Brozovic as the deepest midfielder in a three. Mm. So if you put him deep in midfield where he's now very comfortable, alongside maybe... Orkan Kirkcher, or maybe Sally Urshan from Dortmund, who has great energy. You've got to, this is a great midfield. You've got to, yeah, all of a sudden it's like, well, hang on a minute. Not only is this quite well balanced and pretty competent, but it also has a vacancy in the number 10 role where Arda Guler can maybe step in. So let's see exactly how big the steps are initially. But I think over the course of this qualifying campaign, he's going to nail down a spot as the prime creator for Turkey possibly playing with Chalhanolu and Kirkcher or Urshan. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, actually Turkey, who crashed out so hard at Euro 2020 and then did not qualify for the last World Cup, could be back at it once again. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Kirkcher's in the squad this time around. No, not this time around, but he has been in the last six months. He has or so. been. It looks like they're building a lovely little midfield core there. Mm. You can imagine you can imagine them playing a 4-3-1-2 with Guler in the mm. in the 10. A really, really nice little setup going on. But it does feel like a time of renewal for Turkey because there were so many the way that they played in the qualification period ahead of the last Euros was sensational. They were brilliant, like truly brilliant. And then they crashed and burned at the tournament. And it felt like they were just completely unable to recover from that in terms of qualification. And they've fallen off, you know, a bit of a cliff in terms of where they were and then where they were again two years later. 
So this does feel like a real reset point for them. And there's a, a lot of talent in this squad, as you say, you know, especially in this midfield, sure. But generally, I think you look at it and you go, OK, there's players here who make things happen, not just relying on the old guard quite as much anymore. And mm. actually, when you look at all of it put together, I do believe that, you know, there's there's a very good base for something to build on here for another World Cup round for Turkey. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. And one of the names I, I didn't mention there in the little cohort of midfielders, because um, he doesn't belong in midfield, but they also have uh, Ferdi Kadiolu, who plays for Fenerbahce, who plays left back or right back for Fenerbahce, but has was a midfielder beforehand. He gets up and down that flank like crazy. So I hadn't really considered like a 4-3-1-2, but when you did mention it, I could see him running up and down the flank and maintaining the width and, and pinging in the crosses. And you've got Galera in the 10. Like, it's, it's pretty exciting. Like, obviously... As we all know, names on paper don't necessarily come together to make good football teams. And we'll yeah. have to see how it all mixes in. The manager, Stefan Kuntz, is going to have to put it all together. Like he's got, he's got a lot to answer for here. Well, no, Turkey do. And he has to kind of figure it all out. But we'll see. I think there's, a, there's, there's really good ingredients here for the first time in a while. And they're all appropriately aged. They're not like 35, 36 sort of thing like I have been in the past, maybe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, who's in at number four then, mate? Okay, number four is Evan Ferguson of the Republic of Ireland. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Jack, but my estimation, the Republic of Ireland have not really had a genuine proper striker player since since Robbie Keane retired from duty. Would that be about right? Yeah, I'd say that's probably about fair. It hurts me to say it. I've loved quite a lot of these lads. But yeah, in terms of actual performances on pitches, yes. Okay, so he retired in 2016. And obviously the last couple of years, he'd slowed down a little bit. And we're probably probably going back to 2013 since... Since he had a proper a proper year where he scored like more than more than five goals in a year for Ireland and and Ireland actually had like a, a real bagsman. So it's like depending on how harsh you want to be, it's potentially been a decade since Ireland have had a, a striker they can really lean on and really be proud of. And in all of that time since, like while there have been you know wisps of a good team, they've just never been particularly threatening, have they? Like they work yeah, hard. Yeah, we just scored from set pieces. Yeah, man. play a bit, a bit of good football here and there. You know, great energy. Some good players as well. Like I've, I've, I've long like there's always two or three players on the pitch that are quite good. But if Plan A is big Shane Duffy up from a corner, then obviously you're not a very threatening team. So, in steps Evan Ferguson here, who does have the potential to be genuinely transformative. He is only 18 years of age, and he is still very early, kind of into his breakout mold season. There's three in the league. He'd have more if he hadn't got injured. He got two in the cup at the weekend. And he's not just a goal scorer, is he? He's a very good all-round player who Roberto De Zerbi is, you know, trying to coach and mould into basically the next Harry Kane down at Brighton. And, you know, he's going to step into this island setup now. And for a long, long time, you know, you're pinning your hopes on Troy Parrott. Please, Troy, please, please, please be the truth. And all of a sudden, Evan, Evan Ferguson... I mean, he's just ready, isn't he? Not only is he just like much more threatening, but he's like obviously better physical in the box as well. He's better at linking play and dropping in. He's just a more ready player to carry a line. And it has to be considered potentially transformative. I don't think there's any sort of doubt. The only doubt was sowed by 
the newspapers over in the UK who decided that they were going to try and suggest that he might play for England. But once he uh, once he's made that first competitive start against France on on Tuesday, we're all good. We're all good. The, 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 well, I mean, that must of... be a relief for all of you when he does that. Well, it's gonna it's gonna be it'll make a change, huh? It'll like a, a celebration. Change. You all just start cheering at kickoff. The, the kickoff yeah, whistle goes and he kicks off and everyone yeah. in Ireland just... The roar. The roar we're gonna get when that happens, I tell you. Gets taken uh, off two minutes later, it's just done. But He's I think not this actually is, playing. I think this is it, Sam, in that there's there's actually quite a lot of young talent here coming through. obviously the, the keeper core with Bazunu and Kelleher, even Mark Travers, who's obviously at Bournemouth is good and young you know it's a 21 to 24 kind of range there's some good defenders coming through led by nathan collins who's at wolves um but including a couple of others andrew omabamadeli at norwich etc etc and josh cullen's sort of the eldest of this new generation of midfielders at 26 and then there's jason knight and jason malumbi and a couple of others in that kind of mold it does mean that you're looking at it and going okay all right and you know joe hodge is someone for example he's not been called up this time around but who's been playing Premier League football for Wolves, who, who is Irish. And there feels like the bare bones of a really good squad with a little bit of extra on the elder side, you know, the likes of a Cullen who'll be 29 at the next World Cup. You need that, right? You can't just have a load of 18 to 20-year-olds mm. and throw them in at the deep end unless um, you're apparently Feyenoord who are just <laughs> doing it anyway. But um, it's just generally, I think you, you need that kind of sense of experience. And it just feels like Ireland are going into a cycle with a generation, I hate the words golden generation, but a generation that feel like they have the potential to turn things around again. And Ferguson was the kind of last point of that. And, and there's lots of good like, young strikers coming through who aren't necessarily that mould, right? The, you've got the likes of an Adam Aida, who I really like, Michael Obafemi, Chidoziok Bene, Parrott as well, you mentioned. There's a lot of players that you're like, okay, they're all pretty you know, sharp and, and know what they're doing, but they all feel a bit more like wide forwards. And so you're looking for this person to, to kind of hang through the middle and be like, right, we can make things happen. And Ferguson has emerged from nowhere as this kind of bright light to spearhead the movement. I'm on board. I don't think it's going to be enough for Ireland in this cycle. We're in a group with the Netherlands and France. And obviously only two teams qualify, one automatically, I believe, for the next Euros. So it's going to take a mighty effort for Ireland to be there at all. But I do think looking towards the next World Cup, and obviously we've seen the expansion announced this week, you know, firmly by FIFA. I think this is a group of players who could end that. The last time Ireland were at World Cup was 2002. Um, I was barely out of diapers, but um, it, it feels like one of those where the next, the 2026 World Cup could be the first time we see Ireland at a World Cup for the best part of 25 years, which would be incredible. Wow. Worrying to know that you're in diapers age nine, but um, yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? I was in, I was in nappies until I was, I was in nappies at 14, mate. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think um as you say, like the type of striker that Evan Ferguson is really is really important. Someone that can someone that can get himself involved in the game, someone that doesn't necessarily need to be brought into the game. If Ireland had just produced um, you know, Chiro Immobile, like great, but like, do you have the players to activate him? Probably not. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You've got Evan Ferguson. Doesn't need that help, can take in the long ball. So that's as a really important ingredient as to why he can be so transformative, because it doesn't necessarily matter that the other complementary pieces may not be on the pitch. But I actually that's part of the reason I put him at four and, and Guler at five is as we go through the ranking, we're going to we're going to steadily talk about 
more impactful players, like players that do have an enhanced chance of changing things in the meet in the short term. And I'll move us to three for someone who has not been capped yet, but genuinely might transform this team. It's Romeo Lavia for Belgium, who has been called up by Domenico Tedesco in a squad which has seen like quite a, quite a few prominent figures now retired. Alderweireld has retired, Eden Hazard has retired, and Mignolet has gone too. De Bruyne is still there, Lukaku is still there. Like it's 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 not the end of the world, but this is this team is really starting to look different. And Vertonghen now mid thirties, not the player he once was. Lots happening here. Um, it almost feels weird to have Belgium in a list of like nations that need their their sort of fortunes transformed because they've been so good for so long. But that World Cup campaign was an absolute disaster. And we all saw it coming, which suggests that yeah. things have been problematic for a couple of years and they reacted far too late for it in time for 2022. And now obviously they're trying to put the pieces in place. Remember, this is a team that Kevin De Bruyne called old and slow. So we are watching its next steps incredibly carefully. Avi has been called up. He is he only turned 19 in January, but he is probably Southampton's third or second best player. And I think he's going to step into this team and make a real difference because one of the things I noted from Belgium at the World Cup, they just can't keep that ball. They just can't get on the ball. Like it was embarrassing for a team with that much talent on paper to be so inept in possession. And Lavia is absolutely exceptional in the lone six role or as part of a, a kind of pairing at taking the ball off the centre-backs and progressing it through the middle and hanging on to it as well. He's so press resistant. He is absolutely brilliant. So whatever you can do to take the onus off De Bruyne having to drop in and take the ball and then move forward with it is fantastic. And I have a suspicion that Lavia will immediately become very, very important for Belgium just in terms of like the general fluency of the team. And then as a result of that, once you kind of fix that, players like De Bruyne, players like Lukaku suddenly look a lot better. So this is a player I think can really step into a really important role. I mean, look, he's he's obviously like got a big future ahead of him anyway. Like his club career, who knows where it could take him. I mean, even this summer, I think we're going to see Lavia linked with some massive clubs. Um, Chelsea, obviously, have been on his tail for however long. And United being linked, sure Tottenham will be sniffing around knowing that you know, they could do with a Hoibio, um replacement. <laughs> I think I'm just going to say replacement at this stage. I can't see Hoibio, um continuing in, in Tottenham's midfield for too much longer. But um, yeah, I think that there's going to be some big big teams looking at him and it, it's going to go hand in hand with his his international career here and, his, and the progress that he makes on both fronts at the same time. Like he's going to be, he's going to be a star. He, he really is like the 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 level of performances he can already produce is ridiculous, especially in a team that aren't functioning most of the time. Like that's the other thing to take into account. Like he's been able to to stand out and you can say, well, that's because the the other nine players, you know, apart from him and Ward Prowse, aren't producing. But it's like, well, it's not easy to do that, is it? It's really hard to function well in a team that doesn't function well. They can't play so, without him, mate. That's the thing. He is the reason they function at all. Um, even with Ward Prowse uh, on the pitch, with, without Lavia, they can't, they can't they can't string it together properly. Like they, Lavia went had to go to the bench against Brentford last midweek, presumably because of workload, and they had to bring him on like just like before the sixty minute mark, just to try and get something going. They can't they can't play without him. 
It's interesting. And like, so, so that kind of goes hand in hand then with the Belgium situation whereby they need somebody that can do that. You know, they need somebody to, to be the focal point of the team in, in the middle of the park. But also, I mean, obviously you two were doing a scouting podcast on here last week and it must actually be really hard to scout a player like that who is, yeah, clearly a standout player at Southampton. But knowing that you're taking him to a team where he's not going to be the standout player, he's going to be a small part of a big engine that's already mm. well ahead of where this current team is. That must actually be quite tricky to know how it how it falls. I mean, I guess it's the same with Belgium to some extent because they've got players that have been playing on such a stage for so long, but they're obviously in a stage of evolution at the moment. Really interesting though. Like he's one of the players that is is going to hold the biggest intrigue for me in these next couple of years. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. He's one of those that just feels like he's on the verge of superstardom and it's very early in his career. And, you know, to come into this Southampton side and be so important straight away is a massive you know, compliment to both him and his application and his work rate, as well as that natural talent. I think that he was just ready for it. And it's been a move, I think, that's been a success for everybody. So you look at it and think, well, where's where's the next step? And the next step feels like it's on the international stage. And it's going to be a real, again, you know, I felt like I said this for Turkey, but this is massive for Belgium. And you look at how this is going to play out and and how it can, you know, how things can go south very quickly. And we know this, you know, from our own national teams, obviously. You lose like one game, the opening game of Euro qualification. It looks really mucky straight away, right? So they need this to happen and they need to happen fast and so how they approach that first fixture is going to be really really intriguing i think yep and with a new manager as well you know it's uh there's a, there's a lot a lot has changed so there's a lot that can go right or you know a lot that can go wrong well yeah also you know their, their first game is against sweden away from home you know sweden aren't an international powerhouse by any stretch of the imagination but they're a good side yeah. and they're a solid side and it's the kind of game you really don't want on match day one when you're trying to rebirth everything so yeah. it's gonna be very intriguing to see how how they deal with it absolutely right i'm gonna move this on to number two and i'm gonna talk about oscar gloch of israel i think what we're talking about here is the new face of football in israel like the level of hype and popularity that he has accrued at age 18 is absolutely crazy. And there's a good reason. Mate, it's almost like you haven't heard of Mana Solomonania, mm. which is currently sweeping the country. Interesting. Mm. I, uh, I actually wrote... to eat these words, mate. You're going to eat these okay. words. That's interesting. I wrote down, you know, I wrote down 22 seconds for amount of time it would take Jack to mention Mana Solomon and you beat it by like an <laughs> easy 12. Um, <laughs> but no, it's Oscar Glock. He's he's the one. And for good reason, like in, incredible footballer, really extremely good creative number 10 player and goal scorer. So Arda Goulet is you know, a similar kind of player there in that sense. Um, but Glock has already got like this, I don't know, this like power behind him from, from, from his nation because he was pivotal in the Euro under 19s last season or last last summer where Israel got to the final like Israel getting to the final of an unders competition in, in is absolutely incredible and on the way he scored four and he assisted two and he scored in the final um and he lost to England in extra time <laughs> but uh getting Israel getting he scored in the final he scored in the final scored the first goal in the final um but we beat them but he got a silver medal like he 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 led that team to the final and they're so proud of him and obviously a lot of hype then going back 
into uh, Israeli football, didn't last there long. He's gone on to make his senior debut. He scored his first goal against Cyprus. He's moved to RB Salzburg, where he now starts, and he's already bagged his first assist. Like, this guy is on like a rocket trajectory, and he's going to be incorporated as a key part of this team 100%, and he's really, really good, so fair enough. Now, you know, in, in placing him at number two here, I'm, I'm, I'm projecting a big impact short-term and medium-term. I'm also looking at Israel and what they have or have not achieved in international football and asking, you know, can he be the the, the pivotal factor here? And the reality is Israel have qualified for one World Cup. It was in 1970 and that's it, right? They're not, they're not exactly regular customers on this stage. And they're in a group with Switzerland, sure, but also Kosovo, Belarus, Andorra and Romania. And it's not just Gloch. It's a guy at Fulham you may have heard of called Mala Solomon. And then there's Leal Abada at Obvious. Celtic. There's Sean, I've heard of him. There's Sean Weissman at Granada. They've got, a, they've got a decent little team getting put together here. Like, it's, it's not bad. And I'm just looking at that collection of teams and I'm thinking, could they? Genuinely, could they? With the power of Oscar Gloch kind of pulling the strings there. It's possible. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. That, that's a that's a group you'd like to be in. If Ireland were in that group, I'd be over the moon. <laughs> like, let's put it that way, right? That's that's a group that you go. Okay, there are some good sides. Kosovo have, have, have rocketed up since you know they were allowed on the international scene a couple of years back. They, they've become a very good side, so they deserve credit. Yep. Um, uh, Switzerland, our Switzerland, they will win that group. It's just what they do. Um, they're not going to be very exciting. They're not going to be fun to watch, but they will be at the Euros. But could Israel come second in that group? Yeah, I think they could. I think it's that looks like a two-way tussle between them and Kosovo, and that's no disrespect to the other nations there. Romania, I'm sure, will want to have their say, but it doesn't feel like the Romanian teams of old. They've got a few players coming through people are excited about, but just generally, I think that it looks like a, a group that Israel will feel that they can look at and go, why not? Yeah. Maybe we can get to the, you know, get second and, and qualify in, in terms of the, the qualifiers. hundred percent. Yeah. Looked at it and just thought that is, that is wide open for them. Um, and, you know, in, in years gone past and they've had, they've had one or, one or two good players. Like Israel have had good players. Yossi Benayoun has been fantastic, obviously, but I think they've got three or four here and they've got, that's the stardust of this new golden boy who is genuinely like exceptional. And I'm just starting to dream on their behalf. I wonder how excited they are if I'm this excited. Yeah, I imagine they are very, very excited. Okie dokie. Who's then at number one? Okay. So all the players that we have talked about so far have got a handful of caps, if any at all. I think the max is two. Lavia has none. But we're going to change tact a little bit here. And he does feel like a bit of a separate case. But he is the definition of a young star who can transform his nation's fortunes. It is Erling Haaland of Norway. No, who's not playing in these qualifiers. He's unfortunately <laughs> injured. <laughs> not a great start for me here, but I still wanted to uh, I still wanted to talk about this because it's something that always perplexes me whenever I remember it. But Norway actually haven't qualified for a tournament for some time. And this is one of those things where like when you're a kid, when you're like you know, age four, five, six, seven, whatever it is, you know, still in diapers if you're Jack's case, and you're taking in the teams in a World Cup setting, or you're looking at your sticker book and you're seeing these teams, you automatically assume that these teams are like, okay, so these teams qualify for every World Cup. Like this is this is this is who's at the World Cup. And then obviously as you get older you realize that some of them are never seen again. 
And it's been the case for a team like Scotland. And it's been the case for a team like Norway, who had a golden patch from 1994 to 2000, qualified for two World Cups and the Euros. And since then, absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Into the 23rd year since Norway have done anything at all, which has felt really strange because they've obviously had some really good players. But now they have Erling Haaland. And he's quite good. And while his development... He is quite good. His development did come a little late for the last cycle. But look at him now. And look at how Norway are primed in this cycle. Also consider his supporting cast. It's not just Erling Haaland, is it? It's Martin Odegaard and like Morten Torsby and Sander Berger and Benfica's Frederick Ausnes, Ola Solbakken at Roma. Like, I really like Hugh Avellison at, at Birdo as well, who took over from Solbakken when Solbakken went off to Roma and just done really, really well nicely there. He's about 23, I think. He's a good player. And got, I'm not sure if he's in the squad or not, but got, he's uh, a very good player. Got Dortmund. Marcus Pedersen at Feyenoord. Dort- Julian Ryerson yeah, at Dortmund. Ryerson. Yeah. O- Ostergaard at Napoli as well. Like, doesn't play that much. It always part of a very good team. It always stuns me when I find out that Leo Ostergaard is 23. Yeah. But I'm like, that guy feels like he's been around forever. He was at Stoke and then he was at Brighton and all, all sorts of, yeah. of different things. But yeah, he, he's a good player. And I think that they'll you know they're in good shape they're in. the only place they're not in good shape is in goal yes that's they're not then let's not talk about that um but never mind but the rest of it rest of it is all good and obviously having you know one of the world's best strikers is is tremendous help and for those of you that, that don't necessarily keep up with his international football records um Erling Haaland's goal rate is basically the same as it is at club level 21 goals in 23 games for Norway and he's actually only 12 goals off the all-time record Norwegian national goal scorer. A record. Sorry, Andre Flood. No, no, it was back in it was set back in 1937. Oh. Um, he's barely got started. Roy Hodgson was <laughs> 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 He's barely got started, and you know what? <laughs> it just wouldn't surprise you if in two years' time that goal record has crumbled. So, obviously, a bit of a spanner in the works when he has to withdraw from these. Um, these early games. I don't know if this is a, a good thing or a bad thing that he's missing for the Spain game. Like, do you paint it as well? They'd have lost it anyway, or do you paint it as that's a huge opportunity missed? Could Erling Haaland have been the difference against a Spain side who's figuring themselves out under a new manager? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. The second for me, yeah. I think that we have no idea what Spain are going to look like. It's really exciting. And I'm, I'm really excited to see them play and really intrigued about how they're going to set up. But absolutely missed opportunity yeah. for Norway. I mean, you know, they've got they've got Alexander Surlot, who's in absolutely dreadful form for Real Sociedad, so that'll be fine. <laughs> that'll, that'll be fine. But look, you say it's, 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 it's not just like we can use Holland as a, as a proxy to talk about Norway, to talk about the fact that they've got a good generation coming through. They've got Arsenal's captain feeding the bullets for when Erling is, is finally back and you presume that he'll be a part of the June, the June games. And I think, I think Norway are finally going to reach a tournament, you know, for the first time in over two decades. It's It's been a long time coming, but this is probably the chance. Yeah, there's a couple of players who weren't called up for this who you'd imagine are going to be part of the kind of setup as well for the next couple of years. Christopher Ayer is obviously at Brentford. Uh, he's 24 or so. And he, he, I think, will be a big part of this defence going forward. At the moment, he's, he's just coming back from an injury. So obviously they've decided not to not to call him up this time. But there's, you know, there's a fair bit. Jens Petter Horger, who obviously hasn't, gone to plan from from where he was two years ago feels like he's regressed a little bit he's now again in Belgium and you'd imagine that he's just trying to rebuild himself there a little bit but there's a good crop of players here 
um, with with a really exciting kind of element of, of how it's going to play out. And I think Norwegian fans can be very, very excited about this generation. Yeah, so good couple of players, spearheaded by an elite striker and uh, led by... Sounds like Ireland. <laughs> and led by, you know, one of the best creative midfielders in the world. Like, it, it, the ingredients are most certainly there. It stuns me, really, when I look back at, like, when I was looking at Holland's goals and, and you know, the, the national record for Norway... I was looking at the players that they've had represent them. And you mentioned, you know, Tori Andre Flo there. They've had Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who was obviously part of the last team that, that got anywhere for Norway. They've had some genuinely... Big John Carew. And they had John Carew. And their record caps holder is John Arnarisa. Like, they've had genuinely good players. But they don't think they've had this many good players at the same time. And they've never had two elite or borderline elite players playing for them mm-hmm. at the same time, I don't think. So it does feel very different this time around. Hmm. And, mm. and John Arna Reese's brother, Bjorn Helga Reese. Oh, yeah. Himself, Did he play for Fulham? Himself. Yeah. Both of them played for Fulham. Of course, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty mad, though. It'd be, it will be good to see how this takes off because it seems like it can't fail. If you can just make those, even the three of those players that you mentioned, like function well, like the best, three the best, you're in. You should like, be. Odegaard, Odegaard and Holland alone should be like, get you to this next like tournament. Like, the doors are opening for it all over the place now. I know that. And so like everyone suddenly feels like they've got more hope and chance of reaching these tournaments. But you've got Erling Haaland. <laughs> like, it's done. And it, it's Surely. not like he can't do it for Norway. It's not like it's like, oh, he's good. But 21 and 23, mate. Like, it's... Yeah. It's got to be. It's got to be. It's got to be. Mm, yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Exciting times for the Norwegians. Right. With that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day on our main segment. We'll be back after the break with Men of the Week, Shout Out of the Week, and of course, the gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for our third and final part. And we start as ever with Mr. Dean Jones. Over to you, mate. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Antonio Conte. <laughs> oh. Wow. Wow. Now, um, obviously a bit of a rant from Antonio after the, the 3-3 draw at Southampton. And I'll be honest, like, kind of loved it. Um, but there's no disguise in the fact it's also a bit melonish. Um, to be honest, he looked a bit like Dylan or Reese do when they have a tantrum and start shouting at me because I won't give them something or let them do something. That's really what this had vibes of. It was just a man that wasn't getting his way, but absolutely was not accepting any of the blame for anything that was going on around him. Um, and who knew that the only person in the world that hates Tottenham more than Arsenal fans is the Tottenham manager himself. Like, absolutely <laughs> staggering, really. But, um, yeah, he's absolutely battered the club. He's battered the players. He's had a dig at the owner. And he's going to now lose his job. I don't think he cares. I think this was actually the point of the rant. He didn't want to be at that football club any longer. He left that, <laughs> he left that press conference knowing that his job was absolutely untenable. There was absolutely no way that they were going to keep him on as manager. But it was also an exercise in making sure that he protected himself. By going out there and battering everybody in sight, he was trying to show potential future employers that, no, this is not attached to me. This is nothing to do with Antonio Conte. This is a football club that was built to fail. 
and he refuses to accept that he is part of that failure. Um, and let's be clear, it is his fault as much as anybody else. Look, Tottenham might have a, not have the mentality at the moment to, to go and win things, but his Tottenham team have lost nine matches in the Premier League this season, right? Somehow they're still fourth in the league and can qualify for the Champions League, but they've lost a third of their matches in the Premier League. That's absolutely staggering, to be honest, that they, they can be fourth in the league with that sort of record. And not only that sort of record, this is a team that under him have not played barely any decent football. How many times have you watched Tottenham think, that was fun? <laughs> There's been a few fun score lines, but there haven't been fun performances from a Tottenham point of view. Barely any point in his tenure. I mean, look, I know he's had a tough season on a personal level, but I'm sorry, if he's willing to go out and everything he's been through anyway, and he's willing to go out and slate everyone else, then he's got to take one on the chin to it. And he's got to accept that, like, no, sorry, mate, you are getting some stick here. He was brought in to win a trophy. He hasn't done it. He will never manage in the Premier League again because there's no way anyone's going to employ him on the back of this. Uh, not in this country. He will in Italy, I'm sure. He's a complete loose cannon. He's a melon. Oh, he's well, going to he's going to walk into a job in Italy. He'll walk into no, the Juve job in about five months. Absolutely no problem but yeah. whatsoever. But yeah, I think um, I think most people are probably can see this for what it is, which is at least fifty percent active self-preservation. Tottenham do have their issues, as you say, Dean. But my God, this man can't coach a first half, let alone a game. So it's been tough, and it's been it's been a real eye opener for for people like myself at times, who very high on Conte stepping in to the job, you know, mm. put him in my top five managers in the world, said he was world-class. It's possible he still is, but on current stocks, he's definitely not. Just it is mad not. that no one can achieve here. It is, like, I, I take his point, like, you know, it doesn't matter who you get in, nobody can win anything here. This isn't the coach's fault. But it's like, well, it clearly is, though, because, like, you are just coaches who can't win things. Like, and Pochettino came extremely close to winning this team, the Champions League. I know he didn't, but, like, it, he, he got to got a final. back to back to back. Champions League finishes yeah. in the league, which no one else has ever managed. Conte thinks and... that's a miracle that he can't perform, despite yeah, the exactly, fact that someone yeah. before him did it three years in a row. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, it's all a little bit clunky and I don't like it. And look, I'm, I have lots of sympathy for Antonio Conte because what he's gone through this year personally, in terms of Ventura dying and obviously one of his best friends and then going through surgery and all sorts. It's not been an easy year for him on that level, but this was a bit of a, let's just throw everything at the wall and see what happens kind of speed. And and you know what? It, it would have been, in some ways, if he was like, I want to get out of this, I need to come out of it, that's fine. But to do it in this kind of manner didn't feel right. Well, he was back on a flight to Italy, wasn't he, on uh, Monday afternoon. Um, did make me laugh, obviously, that it was a Ryan. Was that, though? Was that was that from now or was that from previously? I thought it was I thought it was uh, fresh, but maybe not. I, I don't know. know. I'm not convinced because he... I don't know. Okay. Who knows? Of, uh, that, that it just made me laugh because I thought, I thought obviously, the club are going to pay for that flight and because of his rant, they put him on Ryanair. <laughs> Punishment. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he's had to fly out of London Luton. No one wants to do that. <laughs> um, all right, Dean, who is our shout out of the week? And this week's shout out of the week is Busa Nugget in the USA. Thank you uh, for this. He said, best sports podcast, five star. Hello. That's interesting. Isn't it? Best sports podcast, blimey. Um, big praise. Obviously, I mean, we are big on baseball and all the other sports here um, too. You can, you can listen to those um, on 
Mondays and Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays on our other feeds, obviously, the way we do, where we rank everything that's best in baseball and basketball. Um, yeah. Anyway, literally, he says, literally, the only podcast I listen to. Amazing. No wonder he thinks we're the best sports podcast. Um, amazing, guys. And the content covered is really insightful. I got Patreon and subscribed just for this podcast. That is... That's brilliant. Well done, mate. That is exactly what we were hoping for. He said they could charge triple the price and I'd still pay. Well, breaking news, Boosanova. <laughs> <laughs> Yours has just gone up, mate. Um, he said it's that good. I've listened since episode one and I hope this never stops. Nugget. No, well thank done, you, mate. That's it, I have to say, uh, Cody Fielden, uh, I've got to give him a little mention here because he also wrote in to say the pod is so good. He invited us to his wedding and he did, in fact, do that. So um, I can't give Cody a shout out. there. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Two wonderful reviews there. Thank you. Please do keep them coming in uh, over on Apple or whatever you use on Spotify. I think you can only do the stars. But if you can get over to Apple and give us a review, it does help us to grow. And we really appreciate it. Um, but with that. We're back with a new gibberish. We are. I think this might break the record for most amount of gibberish ever spoken in a gibberish. I'm going to rank wow. the best oven temperatures to cook at. I've only ever used 180, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> I'm so with you, Dean. <laughs> I've never turned that dial. Come on, guys. Oh, my. I didn't realize never. this is going to be an education session. Um, obviously, bear in mind, this is with a fan oven. Um and yeah, at number three, it is 180 Celsius, uh, which <laughs> over in America is, is about 350-ish in Fahrenheit. So just to get your, your, your bearings there. This is the bog standard temperature in the age of the fan oven. It's got Everything cooks at this. <laughs> you the only one you need. <laughs> it's the workhorse temperature. It's obviously ever-present, and it can deal with pretty much anything you throw at it. However, it is not the most exciting. But, can you compare it to a footballer and then compare the other ones to a footballer as well? Just to you know, really pull this back to our old school BR days. Uh, well, you can help me out with it, yeah. But yeah, how would you? Who would you pinpoint as a workhorse, ever present? It's got to be a holding midfielder, hasn't it? Can deal with yes, pretty much absolutely. anything you throw at it. Can play in different systems. Juan Moutinho. Yeah, nice, yeah. good stuff. Been around forever. Yeah. Never going to change. Do whatever you need to do. I mean, look, the best thing about this temperature for me is that if you've thrown away the box or container for some of your food and you don't know what temperature it's supposed to go on, you just put it on 180 and you trust the process and it will not let you down. So it certainly gets a position in this ranking, but it is pretty bog standard, guys. Okay. All right. Let's find out what other temperatures you can use. This is, new. <laughs> this is fresh. So at number two, we're going to drop 20 degrees and go to 160 Celsius, which is about 320 Fahrenheit. And this is what I describe as the fun zone on the oven. And it's for two reasons. First of all, this is the perfect temperature for baking biscuits and cookies, delicious biscuits and delicious cookies. And it's also possibly a signal that you're going to be a bit fancy with your food. So I'll give you an example here. If you were to pan fry a duck breast and crisp up the skin and then pop it in the oven, to finish it out you'd probably start with the crisping of the skin skin down on the uh, on the on the pan and then you'd pop it in the oven you're probably hitting about the 160 180 would be too high it would cook it through too quickly it would ruin it 
If you're doing a slow roast of something, this sort of temperature might be your best friend too. And something that we eat a lot of in this household, tender stem broccoli. Cover it in salt and pepper and oil, so not very healthy at all, but stick it in at 160. 180 would be too high. It burns the florets far too quickly. So I think this is pretty exciting. 160 means you're doing something cool. So this is a fancy number 10. I think it is a fancy number 10, yeah. Let's call it caca. <laughs> okay. All right, 160 yeah. Yeah, is a fun, fancy number 10. Yeah, 160 is prime caca. So into number one, my favorite oven temperature, can you believe I just said those words, is 210 yeah. Celsius, which is all the way up into 410-ish on Fahrenheit. And at the end of the day, I think this is in a, not only just quite exciting, but also incredibly useful for a few things that are particularly pertinent to me. It is the perfect temperature to cook sweet potato fries from frozen, which is a very difficult task because it either goes, they're either soggy or they're burnt. But over the years, I've managed to narrow this down and 210 is the one. Even if the packet says 200, I put it on 210 because I believe I know better. The temperature is key. I'd also say that most of the uh, like sourdough wood-fired pizzas that you buy, that you stick in the oven, they need to go in at a slightly higher temperature as well. They need to go in around 210. Again, it's for a short time. It's probably 12 minutes, but it's at this kind of temperature. Also, I'll just say that if you are cooking maybe like a beef joint, you probably stick it in, you know, give it a 20-minute blast at 210, and then you're turning it all the way down to maybe 160. So if you begin at 210 and then go down to 260, so 160, you've You've absolutely hit the jackpot here, as far as I'm concerned. It's just two of the three best oven temperatures in existence. But it also means you're probably cooking a brilliant beef roast, and I am very excited for you. Okay, can we give a, a comparison to 210? I'm not sure where you've just gone with that, so I have absolutely Ooh, no idea. I don't know. I mean, hmm, it's quite a specific temperature for very specific things. It feels things. like a Trent Alexander-Arnold. <laughs> Good at three things. <laughs> it, only works, it only works in the right systems. <laughs> Good at three things, yeah. It could be Trent, for sure exceptional if put to use in a good way okay all right fair enough um, fair thank enough. you i think yeah. for that sam i'm, I'm not sure what should happen <laughs> but we'll run with it uh, and with that i think it's time for us to call this a day so all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to the rank on mr sam time cheers buddy thank you very much to our transfer guru mr dean jones cheers mate I've been Jack Collins, Knave of Hearts. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. If you do want more from us, our link to the Patreon is in the description. We'd love you to come and join us over there. The free trials are still active if you've not been in there before, so you can get a month. Find out if you like it before you sign up permanently. And yeah, we'd love to see you over there for two extra podcasts a week. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week, gang. Take it easy. It's Ram season, which means it's time to serve with Ram 1500, Ram 3500, and Ram TRX. Hurry in now for great deals on the trucks that are built to serve. Right now during Ram season, get 10% below MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Ram 1500 Laramie. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. Contact dealer for details. Take retail delivery by 531 Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. 
Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.